Just a moment, uh, Chuck Vogt, one of our ruling elders, is going to come read for us from Joshua chapter 1. We're starting a new series of sermons today. Uh, you'll remember that back in the spring, we uh, did a series from Genesis through Deuteronomy, kind of looking at each book uh, each week and, and asking the question, what is it about this part of God's Word that calls us to love Him? How is it in this part of God's Word that He has demonstrated to us His kindness in a very particular way. So rather than having sort of a generic sense of we love the story of the Bible as a generic whole, to say, how is it that we're called to love the individual parts of this story? And today we start a series on the historical books, Joshua through Second Chronicles. Wake up, right? Some of you are like, oh man, this is the part of the Bible where everybody goes to get bogged down. This is a part of the Bible where God is speaking to people who are stricken with fear, Because it's a time of transition, a change in leadership, lots of challenges ahead. How will they work out? Lots of opportunities for great progress, potential disaster, fear, and anxiety could overwhelm God's people at a time like that, cause them to grow weaker in their confidence in Him. you know anybody like that? What does God have to say to His people in a time of transition when we're tempted to give in to fear? Let's listen and hear what our God has to say through His Word. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. 
for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chuck. So we don't have to work hard to imagine fear and anxiety. How do we know that those were problems facing God's people at this time? Well, perhaps the fact that God repeatedly says, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be terrified, verse 9 says. Why be terrified? Uh, Well, if you listen to the news these days, you're going to hear lots of reasons for being terrified, right? We're at a crisis point in our civilization, kind of, if we don't vote the right way, civilization as we know it is going to implode. If we vote the wrong way, we're going to plunge our culture, our nation into disaster. Um, I don't mean to make light of choices that are before us in this election cycle. But I do mean to make much of what God says to his people here. He says to three groups of his people the same thing at the same time. Notice how the words that he's speaking here were originally addressed to Joshua as the leader of the Israelites before they entered the promised land. They were at a moment of leadership transition, crisis. Moses had died. Who would step in to fill the void? So God speaks to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. But if you read the rest of the book of Joshua, by the time you get to chapter 24, Joshua is dead. So the book was not written for Joshua and the people who were living in Joshua's day. It was written for people who were alive during the time of the judges when there was no king in the land. Another time of leadership transition. Joshua had died. Now who would step in and fill the void? And it's written for us. Right? We're we're meant to read what God had to say say to those people and understand that the same cycle continues to happen. There continue to be moments, transition and crisis when fear can grow and multiply. And what does God say to Joshua and his generation? What does God say to the generation living after Joshua's death? What does God say to the generation of his people living right now? He says, to us. He wants us to hear those words he spoke to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Give me one good reason. Okay, God, you're telling me, and instead of listening to all these fears, I should be strong and courageous. Why? What reason does God give here in this part of his word? He says, be strong and courageous because my faithfulness will overcome your failure. 
We can be strong and courageous because God's faithfulness will overcome our failure. How does the book of Joshua open here by talking about failure? Well, the first thing we should pick up on is the reference to Moses in verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, then God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Wait a minute, why isn't Moses leading the people in the promised land? Why is it Joshua who's doing it? If you remember the story of Scripture, you remember in Numbers chapter 20, the people are complaining they don't have water, and God says, Moses, speak to the rock, and water will flow out of the rock and, and sustain my people. And Moses gets in front of the rock, and he says, You bunch of rebels! Do we have to bring water out of this rock? And then he hits it with his staff. What's going on there? Moses is afraid. He's afraid that he won't be respected. That his role in providing for the needs of the people will go unnoticed. So he does something to make it clear. I am the one providing for you rebels. And God says, Moses... You won't get to lead the people into the land. Because what you did obscured the fact that I am the one blessing my people. You made it look like you were trusting your wisdom and calling them to trust your strength. In fact, trust my strength. Moses had failed. That's why he died outside the land. Israel had failed Verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Well, God made this promise to Abraham 400 years back, but one generation of the forefathers died in the wilderness. You remember their failure? When God sent 12 spies into the land? Check it out. Go see what it's going to be like when we try to enter it. And ten of the spies came back saying, oh, you didn't go in there. It'd be better to go back to Egypt. Why did God lead us out to this place to die? Let's go back. We can at least have a ration of bread and water, even if it's as slaves. You hear the fear in that? God is not going to take care of us. He will not protect us from the strong enemies in the land. He will not provide for us. Let's go back and trust human resources. We don't like God's plan of bringing us out of Egypt. Let's go back. And God says, you don't want to enter the land? You won't. I won't lead you into the land until every last one of you who is fighting age has died. You're going to wander the wilderness for 40 years. You hear the failure? Moses has failed. Israel has failed. The whole human race has failed. Don't miss the importance of the word death here. After the death of Moses. Wait a minute. Death isn't supposed to be in this picture at all. God's original purpose and plan doesn't involve Adam and Eve being afraid. That somehow God is withholding from us this good fruit. We look at it and it's pleasing to the eye. It looks like it would be good to eat. There's some good gift he doesn't want to give us. So instead of trusting him, we're going to trust our own wisdom. 
and death enters God's good world. Failure, failure, failure. Adam and Eve fail. Moses fails. The nation of Israel, God's people, fail. And yet God says, you know that promise I made about entering the land? I still intend to keep it. Your failures have not overwhelmed my goodness and my faithfulness. Original plan? God's going to plant a family. One man, Adam. One woman, Eve. In one little plot of ground. Garden. Eden. And from there, they're going to they're going to multiply and they're going to teach their descendants to walk with God and trust him as they have learned to do until the whole earth is filled with people who know how to reflect the kindness and goodness of their creator father. And in the same way that he has blessed the earth with abundant life, they're going to do everything they can to help life flourish as they spread from this one little family and this one little plot of ground over the face of the whole earth. And then they fail. So what does God do? Let's start again. I'm going to choose one family, Abraham and Sarah. And through them, I'm going to raise up descendants and I'm going to put them in a land bigger than the Garden of Eden as a hint, a reminder that in the end, my intention is to fill the whole earth with life and joy. So Israel, you're meant to be an outpost. I'm planting you here at the crossroads of the ancient world. If you wanted to get from the mightiest empire in the south, Egypt, to the mightiest empire in the north, Assyria, Babylon before that. You had to pass through this one little point on the map. It was the only way to go. You couldn't cross through the desert of Arabia. It was the only place to find water. You had to go through this strip of land. And you had to pass through nations full of people whose fears had been turned into statues. All idols are just... They're just a sacrament of fear. Pass through nations where people worship Baal, Baal. Because they're afraid the crops won't grow, we won't get enough land. Our women won't be fertile, we won't be able to have children. Our animals can't reproduce. We live in a world that's against us and we're afraid. So we are going to pray to that great sky God that he would rain his life-giving seed down on the earth. And we're going to come up with rituals that encourage men to spill their life-giving seed wherever they darn well please. Daughter, aunt, mother-in-law, sheep, goat. Israel, you're to be an outpost to show people how the world can be made whole again. That when you're set free from fear, 
You can trust the one true and living God to show His kindness and faithfulness. Adam and Eve failed, but I haven't given up on the plan to redeem the earth. Moses failed, but I haven't given up. So Joshua, you lead the people into the land. Israel failed, but I haven't given up. So go. Be that little outpost of light and life and love. Hear what God's saying? Be strong. Be courageous. There will be failure. That's inevitable now that the rebellion has happened. But that failure will never overcome my faithfulness. I will make a way to cause life to flourish on this planet forever. I will make a way. That's really not what we want to hear when we read these verses. Kind of what I want to hear is, hey, God said whatever I do is guaranteed to succeed. Isn't that what I said? Right? You will be prosperous and successful. There it is right there in verse 8. Sweet. I will be prosperous and successful. Like, that means I won't just make a lot of money. Everybody will know I made a lot of money. Because that's what success means. I will get everything I ever wanted. Cool. I like it. Tell me more, Joshua. I love this promise taken out of context (laughs) and twisted to fit my fears. Because, see, I'm afraid that nobody will know how desperately I want to succeed. I'm afraid that I won't have enough. And God says, here's the promise. I want to make you part of something bigger. I want to make you part of something bigger than money. I want to make you part of something bigger than the United States. God is not promising in these verses that the United States will always be a prosperous place. Do we get that? Joshua is not the first president. This is not George Washington crossing the Delaware here. This is a man named Joshua, Yeshua in Hebrew, whose name means the Lord saves. Incidentally, it's the same as the name of a later leader, Yeshua, Jesus. The Lord saves. And the Lord's plan is not to save one nation, one flag, one culture. His plan is to save everybody who turns from rebellion to trust him, no matter where they live, no matter who they voted for, no matter whether their side won or lost. And he's saying, here's what I promise you. I want to make you part of something big, something so big that I will never let anything stand in its way. It will look like it has failed many times. I will make a way. My faithfulness 
will overcome your failures. So be strong and courageous. Sounds good. I accept the invitation, Lord. I want to be part of something bigger than me. I want to be part of something bigger than partisan politics. I want to be part of something bigger than one nation. I want to be part of something that will last forever. I want to be a part of what you're doing. How do I do that? And the answer is that we're called here to be strong and courageous while we follow God's leader and God's ways. Oh, so this is the part where he's going to tell me who to vote for. Hang on, that comes later. Follow God's leader in God's ways. God's ways, right? That's what God says to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. Personally successful, loads of money? No, no. So that you, Joshua, may be successful as you lead the people on my life-giving purpose, my world-saving plan. I will always cause my purpose to make life flourish to succeed. And I want you to follow my ways in that. So know my law. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Following God's leader in God's ways. Now, a common way to understand this is to go, God's laws are stupid legalistic rules. Thank goodness we don't have to obey them anymore because we are Christians. That is not what God says in his word. Instead, he says this. I want life to flourish on the planet I have made. And life flourishes only where love flourishes. So I'm going to give you my law because it sets out the conditions under which life, love can flourish. My law expresses the conditions that nurture loving relationships. It's what Jesus said to us, right? What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, you can take all the commandments God ever gave and sum them up this way. Relationship with God, loving Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Relationships with each other, loving our neighbor as ourself. Jesus is saying to us, the laws God has given in His Word map out for us what a community of love would look like. So don't ever depart from them. Don't ever step outside those ways. Sometimes it's aggravating to be your pastor. Can I say that? Am I allowed to be honest? Because I don't know all of you as well as I'd like to. 
And if I knew you well, then I know I could sidle up alongside you and go, hey, man, do you hear that cockamamie stuff Trump said this week? Ha, ha, ha. And we'd share a laugh because I'd know you would laugh at that. Or if I knew some of you well enough, I could come alongside you and say, do you hear that mess Hillary was saying? Ha. And I know you'd laugh and we could share it because I would know. But doggone it, if Jesus hasn't called a bunch of people together here, and I can't tell who's who. That's a beautiful thing. This is a lovely thing. Our world needs to see that there are people who can get together and celebrate a common love and joy for Jesus that transcends all the fears that get wrapped up in the political climate of our day. Again, I'm not downplaying. There's some really important issues in front of us. But here is a really important issue in front of God's people. Will you be strong and courageous and follow the leader I appoint? Who is that leader? Notice how I just asked the question. I did not use the future tense. Who will that leader be? Who is that leader? We're not sitting around wondering who is the leader God will choose to lead his people. We're sitting around wondering who is the leader that God and the providence of our decisions and voting will used to lead this country. That's in the future. We don't know that yet. But no matter how well or poorly we think that goes, God's not going to withdraw his hand from the leader that he has already appointed. Who is that leader? Moses. Nope. Not Moses, right? He was a great leader. God calls him my servant. He says, I was with Moses. But Moses died outside the promised land because of his failure. Was it Joshua? Joshua was a great leader. God says to Joshua, I will be with you. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's verse 9. Joshua was a great leader. But he didn't accomplish the fullness of God's vision. If you had a map in front of you and you read through verse 4 again and mapped out the geography of all the boundaries God sets. Joshua, I want you to go to all these places. Joshua, under his leadership, Israel occupies about a third of that. So God's vision is bigger than even that of the best human leaders. And even the most faithful human leaders never accomplish the fullness of what God has in mind. And we said earlier that chapter 24 ends with Joshua's death. Lord, thank you for Moses. He was a great leader, but he wasn't the one we were waiting for. Thank you for Joshua. He was a great leader. But we need a leader who will rewind the story all the way back to Genesis and free us from death.
we're tired of reading books of the Bible that begin by saying one great leader died and end by saying another great leader died. When do we get to the part of the story when the great leader lives and reigns forever? Follow God's leader in God's ways. Jesus never departed from the paths of love. He never strayed to the right or to the left from any one of his father's laws. In fact, he fulfilled many of those laws and took them to a completely different level. Every law about how to offer a sacrifice, Jesus blew it out of the water by sacrificing himself. Every law about how to purify yourself once you've been defiled by mildew or by a fungus or by touching a dead body. Jesus blew those out of the water by purifying us from the real source of our pollution, which is our tendency to let fear cause us to go our own way. Letting fear cause you to go your own way. That's just a long way of saying sin. Jesus has purified us from that human tendency to be so full of fear that we walk in our own ways instead of God's. Be strong and courageous. You have nothing to be afraid of. Let that sink in. No matter who says our civilization is about to crumble, No matter who says, our future is at stake. God says, I will not let human failure overcome my faithfulness. So follow the leader I have chosen, Jesus. He always leads you in the paths of love. When I was a pastor at Clemson, I got a letter one day from the athletic director at the university. Hmm. Makes you feel kind of important, right, when you open that letter. I mean, this is football country, so. A.D.? Me? Wow. Must be free tickets. Nope. It's a letter saying the ACC's been discussing the possibility of having some Sunday games. We're just writing all the pastors in the area to see what input you might have as we think about this decision. Okay, imagine La Vista Road is a half mile from the stadium at UGA. And it is the main way to get there. That was our scenario. I got to tell you, it's going to be pretty hard for us to do our thing on a Sunday morning if... Y'all shut the road down and turn it into four, you know, four lanes of one-way traffic while all our people are trying to come the other way. Please don't do this. <laughs> so this panic moment starts to sit in. Because why is the ACC thinking about this? Money. Why would a football conference ever think about making any change? It's money. Just trying to get more money. More TV revenue if we play a few home games on Sunday. You know, what do you think? Thought about it, prayed about it, wrote a letter back saying, you know what? The university is 
not the church. You don't have any obligation as a state university to try to cause the worship of Jesus to prosper. That's our calling as a church. Here's how our calling would be harder to fulfill if you make this decision. But we're going to do what we're going to do no matter what you decide. We're, we're not afraid. We don't have anything to be worried about. Even if life gets really, really hard because people made some really stupid decisions motivated by something as foolish as money. We will go on. Because football's not our God. And money's not our king. Jesus is our leader. And he's going to take care of us, no matter what. I tried to say all that as kindly and graciously as I could. Never heard anything else about it. Don't know what decisions were made or why. Doesn't really matter. That's not the reason I'm telling that story. I'm just saying, Lord, this is one of those times, isn't it? Big decisions out in front. We don't know where things are going to go. God says, wherever things go, no matter how much human failure is involved in it, I will not give up. I will be faithful. Now you be my little outpost people. Walk in the ways of love and follow the leader I have already given you. His name is Yeshua. The Lord saves Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we've been singing a lot this morning about fear and failure and singing about your promises. And now we've heard from your word about fear and failure and more about your faithfulness. Help us now to see and taste the faithfulness that you have demonstrated in Jesus as we participate together in the supper that he called us to observe. Lord, show us the broken body, the spilled blood of Jesus, and help us to taste your faithfulness in ways that change us so that we are full of readiness to follow him rather than being overwhelmed with fear. We pray in his name, the sweetest name we've ever known. Amen.